everybody. Welcome to the 76th episode of our World News Podcast. This podcast, along with all of our other news episodes, are part of Atlas News. Check out the Lethal Minds Journal, a veteran and active duty publication focusing on foreign and military affairs, art, and culture. Take a look at the journal's Bulletin from the Borderlands, a bi-weekly foreign affairs publication from multiple talented intelligence analysts and independent journalists. Head over to lethalmindsjournal.substack.com or Instagram at lethal.minds.journal to see more. Also, please consider supporting us on Patreon, patreon.com slash analyze educate, ko-fi, ko-fi.com slash analyze educate or analyze educate.substack. Com. You can find all those links in the show notes below. We appreciate all the support that you guys throw our way. So I'm recording this on Monday, January 29th. Uh, it's about six o'clock in the evening here, Northern California. I'm a couple days late. So my apologies on that, but we will head right into it. Okay, get started off here with Europe and Eurasia, looking at the Russo-Ukrainian war on Monday, last Monday, missiles launched from Russian Air Force Tu-95M strategic bombers hit the Ukrainian cities of Kyiv, Kharkiv, and Dnipro. Ukrainian forces were able to down 21 of 32 missiles of various types that were launched. This includes S-300 and S-400 missiles and different types of cruise missiles and different types of ballistic missiles. The missile strikes killed at least seven people and injured another 70 across the country. Moving on, Thomas Gray Harris has been recently identified as one of the more recent Americans to be killed in combat against Russian forces in Ukraine. Harris traveled to Ukraine in August of last year to join the Ukrainian International Legion. He was killed in action no later than November 24th of last year. Harris was born in 1990 in Apple Valley, California, and he was a veteran of the Marine Corps. He served as a 0311 infantry rifleman with at least one deployment to Marja, Afghanistan with 3rd Battalion, 9th Marines in 2010. He is among at least 50 Americans to be killed while fighting in Ukraine against Russian forces. Many of those that have been killed are veterans. On Wednesday, an IL-76 transport plane of the Russian Air Force was shot down near the Russian city of Belgorod. The resulting crash killed everyone on board. There are a lot of conflicting claims regarding the incident. First off, it isn't 100% clear who downed the plane. Initially, Ukranska Pravda, which is a newspaper over there, claimed that it was shot down by Ukrainian forces via their military sources, the newspaper's military sources. Uh, that paper also claims that via their unnamed sources as well, the plane was carrying S-300 missiles uh, for service-to-air missile systems, which have been used to attack Kharkiv in recent weeks multiple times. However, once Russia announced that the plane was carrying 74 people on board, including 65 Ukrainian prisoners of war, the publication removed the portion of their story that attributed the shoot down to Ukraine. There's also been some theories of friendly fire, considering that local air defense units were placed on alert prior to the downing, but there isn't any evidence to support those theories right now. Russia claims that the 65 POWs were set to take part in a prisoner exchange with Ukraine later that day. Ukraine's military intelligence service has confirmed that a prisoner swap was going to take place that day, but it did not. The service also said that the claim of prisoners on board is still being verified. Uh, Russia has released a list of names 
of POWs who were allegedly on that plane, and those names actually do match up with many of the prisoners that were set to be released that day. Uh, Ukrainian military intelligence also says that Russia did not inform the Ukrainian side of the need to ensure the safety of the airspace around Belgorod, which has been done for previous prisoner exchanges. The plane that was shot down has historically been known to ferry Wagner Group and other Russian forces to multiple hotspots in Africa. The plane was reportedly being followed by another IL-76 at the time. Later in the day, an IL-76 with the tail number RA-78830 of the 223rd Flight Unit was shown in the African country of Burkina Faso, which Wagner is involved in. That plane reportedly delivered a contingent of 100 men to the Africa Corps, which the Wagner Group contingent in Africa has recently been rebranded to. The Wagner Link Telegram channel that shared the info claims that 200 more fighters from the Africa Corps are expected to deploy to the country in the near future. Interestingly enough, that tail number 78830 was also initially reported as the plane that was shot down. These facts have fueled theories that the plane was shot down, was carrying Africa Corps fighters, and Russia has been trying to take advantage of the situation, claiming that the plane was full of Ukrainian POWs instead to discredit Ukraine. Now, that is pretty much all we know right now. Again, all these theories are unconfirmed. Um, the only thing we really know is the fact that that plane did go down in Belgorod. That was a a pretty nasty crash from what we were able to see on videos and social media. Uh, so again, if anything becomes confirmed, we will be sure to update you guys, but that's all we have at this point. Moving on to Central Asia and the Middle East, looking at the Israel-Hamas war, reported casualties for Gaza, you have 26,083 killed, 64,487 injured. For Israel, you have 1,436 killed, 8,787 injured. Uh, that injured number has stayed the same for the past few weeks. I can't really find a good updated number on that, but it is definitely higher uh, than what is being reported. For the Gaza operation specifically, Israel has taken 208 killed in action and 937 wounded. Again, that wounded number has not been updated in a bit either. So I'll keep trying to find a better number, but for right now, that's really all we got. Looking at the West Bank, you have 369 people killed, over 4,000 injured. In Lebanon, you have 197 killed. In Syria, you have 91 killed. And in Egypt, you have nine injured. That gives us a total of 28,176 killed, 77,283 injured. According to the Committee to Protect Journalists, the number of journalists and media workers that have been killed in this war is 83. The vast majority of those were Palestinians that were killed in Gaza, that number 76. Additionally, four Israelis and three Lebanese journalists have been killed as well. Major combat operations in the north have come to an end. The IDF still maintains a presence in the entire area. In recent weeks, some Israeli troops in the north have been sent back to Israel. Operations still continue in central Gaza and in the south around Khan Yunus. Israeli forces have also begun moving to the coastline in southern Gaza and are positioned on the outer northern edge of the declared humanitarian safe zone in the area. Over the week, Israel gave a proposal to Hamas that includes a potential two-month ceasefire deal as part of a larger deal that would see the release of all remaining hostages in Gaza. 
Hamas turned down that deal, instead saying that they would be willing to release some hostages in exchange for a permanent ceasefire and a full Israeli withdrawal. Now, this probably goes without saying, but of course, Hamas is not going to give up all their leverage that they have on Israel. It just wouldn't make sense for them to release all their hostages, right? Uh, they really need to feel like they're getting something in return for them to do that. They need a little bit of leverage. So I definitely would not be holding my breath on the release of all hostages inside Gaza, especially uh, if it were just for a temporary ceasefire. That's not going to happen. Around 20 government ministers and members of the Knesset, that's Israel's parliament, belonging to Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's Likud party, have called for a settlement conference in Gaza. Tourism Minister Chaim Katz said that the, quote, withdrawal created the Nazi monster and the correction will come through the renewal of settlement in the Gaza Strip, end quote. Katz is referring to the Israeli withdrawal of troops and settlers from the Gaza Strip in the early 2000s, which led to elections in Gaza that brought Hamas to power. Culture and Sport Minister Miki Zohar said that, quote, security begins in settlement, end quote. Head of the Samaria Regional Council, Yossi Dagan, also said, quote, Oslo and the deportation brought about this Holocaust, end quote. He's, of course, referring to the Oslo Accords and the withdrawal from Gaza and the October 7th attack as the Holocaust. The conference they have called for will be known as the Conference for Victory of Israel, and it will be held soon, I believe sometime this week. In addition to the return of settlements to the Gaza Strip, the conference will also call for increased settlement in the West Bank. Among those attending is also Minister of National Security Itamar Ben-Gavir, who himself is a settler in the West Bank. Ben-Gavir is known for really his disdain for Palestinians, and on January 1st, said that the war with Hamas presented a opportunity for Israel to facilitate the migration of Gazans out of the country. On last Monday, 21 IDF soldiers were killed in an incident in central Gaza while operating roughly 600 meters from the Gaza-Israel border. IDF troops were demolishing structures in an attempt to create a buffer zone to allow border community residents to return to their homes. At around 1600 local time, an RPG fired by militants hit one of the two two-story buildings that were being prepared for demolition. The RPG caused mines that were placed inside the buildings to detonate, causing the two buildings to collapse with soldiers still inside and around them. That killed 19 alone. A tank providing security for the demolition team attempted to locate and engage the RPG team, but before it could do so, itself was hit by an RPG. Two soldiers were killed inside the tank. The militants were able to break contact and flee the area that was the deadliest day for Israeli soldiers inside Gaza since the operation began. Border clashes between Israel and Lebanese Hezbollah have continued. Again, uh, not a whole lot to note in that arena. It's still going pretty steady. Over 100 other hostages are still being held inside Gaza. Israeli media is reporting on a new hostage video that was recently released by Hamas. The five-minute-long video is composed of edited clips showing IDF soldiers Daniela Geboa, Karina Ariev, and civilian Daron Steinbrecher. They identified themselves and asked for the Israeli government to secure the release. Hamas says the video was filmed at some point in the last week, but there's no evidence to verify that claim. That also comes as the heads of 
Saud and the CIA are set to hold hostage talks with mediators from Qatar and Egypt. Since October 17th, there have been at least 158 drone and rocket attacks on U.S. troops in Iraq, Syria, and now Lebanon. Again, that 158 number is probably lowballing it. Number is certainly higher than that. It's just kind of hard to tell. The Pentagon has confirmed at least 133 casualties so far. That is a huge jump from the numbers that we reported last week, and I'll get into that in a second. The U.S. military has launched nine response strikes since these attacks began. So again, nine responses for over 158 attacks against our troops in the region. On the 20th, PMF units aligned with the Islamic resistance of Iraq claimed an attack against U.S. forces at Al-Assad Air Base. Multiple rockets and ballistic missiles were fired at the base. The exact number is unclear, but reports range anywhere from over a dozen to around 40 munitions being fired. Air defense systems, including Patriot batteries, were able to down most of these munitions. However, some did impact the base. Multiple U.S. service members were lightly injured and evaluated for traumatic brain injuries. Also, at least one Iraqi service member was injured in that attack. On the 23rd, U.S. forces carried out airstrikes targeting Iranian-backed militias in Al-Qaim in western Iraq. The strikes targeted Kataib Hezbollah specifically, hitting a headquarters building, storage facilities, and training facilities of the group. On the 28th, American troops deployed to an outpost in Jordan were attacked by a suicide drone. Three U.S. Army soldiers were killed, and another 47 were wounded in that attack. That number was just updated today, with most being evaluated for TBIs, and that's why we're seeing updates, right? It takes a little bit for these evaluations to be done. This is the first time since the attacks began that U.S. personnel have been killed in action. The outpost that was hit was Tower 22, which lies along the border with Syria and overlooks the country. U.S. officials told the AP that the drones hit, I'm sorry, the drone, single drone hit near the living quarters, explaining the large casualty toll. U.S. troops have been deployed there as part of Operation Inherent Resolve to protect the Jordanian border from ISIS incursions. Jordan has publicly claimed that the attack happened in Syria. That is not true. Tower 22 is inside Jordan. You could even see that from satellite photos. They likely refuse to acknowledge that the attack happened in Jordan because Jordan has actually never publicly acknowledged the existence of Tower 22. I'm personally curious as to when Americans began redeploying to the outpost. A friend of mine in my unit personally pulled all the communications gear from the outpost in 2018 when it was being closed down. So again, I am curious as to when we started sending people back there. There's a theory right now that the air defense systems on the base failed to shoot down the drone because it was mistaken for an American drone that was returning to base around the same time. That's just a theory right now that is not confirmed. Iranian-backed militias in Iraq have claimed responsibility for the attack. President Biden also released a statement blaming, quote, radical Iranian-backed militants operating in Syria and Iraq, end quote, and said that they will be held accountable, although he didn't really say what that would look like. The three soldiers that were killed have been identified. That is Sergeant William Jerome Rivers, 46 years old, of Carleton, Georgia, Specialist Kennedy Layden Sanders, 24, of Waycross, Georgia, and Specialist Brianna Alexandra Moffitt, 23 years old, of Savannah, Georgia. All three soldiers were assigned to the 718th Engineer Company of the 926th Engineer Battalion. Of course, we will be praying for their families. Again, this is the first instance 
of American troops being killed since these attacks began. Um, and unfortunately, it really only was a matter of time because we keep our servicemen and women in these places, but we don't defend them. Uh, again, over 150 attacks, well over uh, only nine responses, and our responses have been uh, lacking. Again, we strike warehouses when these militias deliberately attempt to kill Americans, and they have now. Um, this is a news episode, so I don't I don't want to get too much into my opinion or my analysis of what's going on. But again, uh, something something to note. Um, really, really shaky situation for sure. Yemen-based Houthi rebels have continued their activity in the region. There have been at least 40 attacks against commercial shipping and allied naval assets in the area since October 19th. The U.S. released a name for their ongoing operation to degrade the ability of the Houthis to threaten traffic in the Red Sea. That is Operation Poseidon Archer, and uh, the U.K. is also on that operation as well as the U.S. On Monday, Last Monday, U.S. and U.K. aircraft and Tomahawk cruise missiles struck multiple Houthi targets 15 to 30 minutes after the initial strikes. A Houthi missile that was ready for launch was destroyed as well. On Tuesday, U.S. forces targeted and destroyed two Houthi anti-ship missiles that were prepared for launch towards the Red Sea. And on Friday, an oil tanker was struck by a Houthi launch missile while sailing in the Gulf of Aden. That is the MV Marlin Luanda. The vessel was likely attacked because it is UK-owned, it is Marshall Islands flagged, and it was carrying oil from Russia. And again, that is uh, not in violation of sanctions, as many of you have asked uh, in my comments on Instagram and elsewhere on social media. And I believe that's because uh, the oil was being sold below the EU-imposed price cap for Russian oil. So again, not in violations of the sanctions is something interesting to note. This makes the second tanker carrying Russian oil to be attacked by the Houthis. The missile caused an uncontrollable fire to break out on the vessel, which led to the ship's crew having to abandon it for lifeboats. USS Kearney, French frigate Alsace, and the Indian Navy destroyer, sorry about this, Vishka Patanam, all responded to Marlin Luanda's distress call. It took responders 20 hours to extinguish that fire. None of the ship's crew were harmed miraculously. This may actually be the first time since October that a Houthi attack has forced a ship's crew to evacuate. Um, and again, that's that's not like taken into account crews that have been held hostage and stuff like that, which the ships that have been captured by Somali pirates and the Houthis, those crews are still being held hostage, unfortunately. I believe there's two ships uh, that are in that sort of situation right now. So what you're seeing here is the severity and sometimes the frequency of these attacks uh, being upped across the region against commercial shipping and against our forces, right? Um, thanks actually to Poseidon Archer, the frequency of Houthi attacks has actually gone down. But again, they are still very much a threat. This is probably the most severe attack uh, that they've committed ever since October 19th, right, against the... Uh, Marlin Lawanda. And then in Iraq and Syria, now Lebanon, the frequency of attacks is stepping up as is the severity. You have a lot more U.S. casualties at this point. Um, U.S. casualties have actually pretty much doubled since what they were at a couple weeks ago. And now we do have the first Americans to be killed um, in action because of these attacks. And I'm pointing this out because 
I don't want to offer too much of my opinion on a news episode, but the Biden administration has really been trying to what you're seeing here is the severity and the frequency of these attacks increasing. The Houthis, for the first time, have forced a ship's crew to evacuate because of the danger that was caused um, by the attack on that ship. And then in Jordan, we have the first case of U.S. troops being killed in action by these attacks by Iraqi militias. My point in saying this is I don't want to offer too much of my own opinion on a news episode, but... We constantly hear the Biden administration talk about how they're treating this situation carefully. On one end, it looks horrible to allow attacks to be committed against U.S. forces in the region. On the other end, they don't want to escalate the situation, right? What we're seeing is a situation escalating regardless whether they want it to or not. The enemy gets a vote and they have voted to escalate the situation. That is their prerogative. Everybody gets a vote, right? And that's just something to keep in the back of your mind every time you hear, well, we don't want the situation to escalate. We're trying to de-escalate things. It's not working. It's not working. The situation is being escalated day by day. All right, we got a Naval Forces posture update in the region. Thank you to Intel Skits on Twitter for his infographics. The Israeli Navy has three corvettes near the Sinai Peninsula. Egypt has two warships off of its coast in the Red Sea. The Dwight D. Eisenhower Carrier Strike Group is in the Bab el-Mandeb Strait. There are 12 ships in the Gulf of Aden under the framework of the Combined Maritime Forces. China has three ships in the Gulf of Aden. Iran has one ship in the North Arabian Sea. India has four ships operating in the North Arabian Sea. The British Royal Navy has four ships near Bahrain. And the U.S. Navy and Coast Guard have 15 ships in the Persian Gulf and the Gulf of Oman. We will take a quick break and we'll be right back with Africa. Okay, we're back with Africa, taking a look at Somalia. Last Monday, the search for the two U.S. Navy SEALs that went missing when they were conducting a boarding off the coast of Somalia was called off after 10 days. They were part of a force from SEAL Team 3 operating from the expeditionary mobile base USS Lewis B. Polar that was tasked with boarding a ship that was carrying Iranian-made ballistic missile components bound for Yemen for the Houthis. The first seal to go missing was knocked into the water by a large wave while attempting to board. The second seal jumped in to save the first. The two were identified as Special Warfare Operator First Class Christopher J. Chambers and Special Warfare Operator Second Class Nathan G. Ingram. Chambers enlisted in the Navy in 2012 and Ingram enlisted in the Navy in 2019. And of course, we will be praying for their families. Moving on to the Americas, got a presidential race update looking at the U.S. Poll averages from 538. Biden's approval is at 39. That is the same from last week. His disapproval is at 55. That is down one point. Trump's favorability is at 43. His unfavorability is at 52. Both of those remain the same from last week. Looking at the Democrat primary, Biden is at 70%. He is up two points. Marion Williamson is at 5%. She's down one. And Congressman Dean Phillips is at three. He remains the same. 
Looking at the National Republican primary, Trump is at 71%. He is up six points. And Nikki Haley is at 14%. She is up one as well. Looking at the primary in South Carolina, the Republican primary, Trump is at 65%. And Nikki Haley is at 27 And last Sunday, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis dropped out of the Republican primary just before the New Hampshire primary election. This leaves just Trump and Haley and DeSantis endorsed Trump. Wow. There's been a lot going on this week. It feels like that was weeks ago, and it actually was only like eight days. The New Hampshire primary was held on Tuesday. Trump won the Republican primary, winning 54.3% of the vote and 12 delegates. Nikki Haley lost with 43.2% and nine delegates. Interestingly, in New Hampshire, 70% of Nikki Haley voters were not registered Republican. New Hampshire has a large number of independents who do not like Trump. MSNBC even interviewed a registered Democrat who said that his vote for Haley was a strategic vote meant to diminish Trump's influence. In his words, Biden won the Democrat primary with solely red-in votes. The party opted to make South Carolina their first official primary for the election season. New Hampshire Democrats decided to hold the primary anyway, but the National Party isn't recognizing the results. Regardless, Biden won 63.9% of the vote, Dean Phillips won 196 and Marion Williamson won 4%, and the rest went to other write-in candidates. On Sunday, last Sunday, a man identified as 23-year-old Romeo Nance went on a shooting spree in the city of Joliet, Illinois. He shot nine people throughout the city, killing eight of them. Six of the bodies weren't even found until last Monday afternoon and were located in two homes across the street from each other. At some point last Sunday, Nance got into a vehicle and drove almost 20 hours. No later than 8.30 local time on Monday, Nance was located by U.S. Marshals in Natalia, Texas. He killed himself with a handgun shortly after a confrontation with Texas law enforcement. Nance was actually out on bond for allegedly shooting at a woman's car in January of last year. His next court hearing was supposed to be on February 1st. Moving on, a Long Beach, California man has been sentenced to life plus 30 years in federal prison for the killing of his ex-girlfriend and injuring of two others. In 2018, Stephen William Beale, 64 years old, built and planted a bomb inside of a day spa in the city of Alicia Viejo with the intent of killing his girlfriend, Adikio Krasnok. She was the owner of a spa called Magyar Cosmetica, and two of her clients, a mother and daughter, were severely injured in that explosion as well. Bill was convicted of use of a weapon of mass destruction resulting in death, use of a destructive device during and in relation to a crime of violence, malicious destruction of a building causing death, and possession of an unregistered destructive device. Last Monday, the U.S. Supreme Court handed a victory to the Biden administration. Now, the situation on the border is probably the biggest story that is going on right now. In a 5-4 to four decision, the court allowed Border Patrol agents to cut and remove razor wire fencing that has been placed along portions of the U.S.-Mexico border by Texas law enforcement and military personnel on the orders of Governor Greg Abbott. Abbott claims that the DHS is not enforcing existing laws and letting massive amounts of illegal immigrants into the country unchecked, which necessitated Texas to take matters into its own hands. The Department of Justice claims that Abbott's actions have put people at risk and hindered the ability of Border Patrol to carry out its duties. 
None of the justices explained their vote. Justices Barrett and Roberts sided with the three liberal justices on the court. The order is only temporary while cases between Texas and the federal government continue in lower courts. And let me explain something real quick. So a lot of people are saying that while Governor Abbott continues to order the emplacement of various types of barriers along the U.S.-Mexico border, he is violating the Supreme Court's order. That is actually not true. The Supreme Court order said nothing about Texas being able to put up barriers. It just said that Border Patrol can take them down. So again, Texas could put them up as much as they want, and Border Patrol can take them down as much as they want. I just figured I would note that because that misconception is uh, being seen a lot out there. There are no violations of the Supreme Court order. Texas and the Biden administration are clashing on other issues as well. Abbott previously ordered the installation of floating barriers in the Rio Grande River next to Eagle Pass to keep people from crossing the river. Texas also recently passed a law that will allow state troopers to arrest illegal immigrants for entering into the U.S. in an effort to keep them from ending up being processed and released into the custody of Border Patrol. Now, that law does not go into effect until, I believe, March. So, again, it's not in effect right now, but that is still an issue between Texas and the federal government. And lastly, in recent weeks, the Texas Department of Public Safety and the Texas Military Department have seized and blocked off Shelby Park in Eagle Pass. The park is owned by the city, and it is one of the busiest areas for illegal immigrants entering the country and being processed by federal agents. For that reason, Abbott says that he ordered Texas authorities to block off the park and to keep both migrants and federal personnel from entering it. The Biden administration has threatened legal action over Shelby Park, but I do not believe they have actually taken any yet. Since the ruling on last Monday, the situation has continued to escalate. Governor Abbott has invoked Texas's constitutional right to self-defense, arguing that the Biden administration has, quote, broken the compact between the United States and the states, end quote. In a written statement, Abbott said that the executive branch of the United States has a constitutional duty to enforce federal laws protecting the states, including immigration laws. According to Abbott, Biden and his administration have failed to enforce immigration laws and sometimes violated them as well. The statement says that President Biden has failed to uphold his oath of office by not attempting to control legal immigration and attempting to stop Texas's efforts to do so. He is also, according to the statement, tasked his agencies with ignoring federal statutes pertaining to illegal immigration and wasted taxpayer dollars on removing barriers and other security infrastructure that Texas has placed along the border to stem the flow of illegal immigrants outside of ports of entry. Abbott says that over 6 million illegal immigrants have entered the country since Biden came to office in 2021. Abbott cited Article 4, Section 4 of the Constitution that says that the federal government, quote, shall protect each state against invasion, end quote. He also cited Article 1, Section 10, Clause 3, which addressed, quote, the state's sovereign interest in protecting their borders, end quote. Keep in mind that Governor Abbott has legally declared the situation at Texas's border with Mexico to be an invasion under the Texas Constitution. Abbott says that Biden's failure to adhere to Article 4, Section 10 has triggered Texas's right to self-defense in the absence of federal government action as outlined in Article 1, Section 10, Clause 3. According to him, this authority is, quote, the supreme law of the land and supersedes any federal statutes to the contrary, end quote. 
He says that the Texas National Guard and the Department of Public Safety are acting under that authority and state law to secure the Texas-Mexico border on his orders. That is all I have for you guys this week. So I want to thank you all for supporting this podcast. Of course, it means a lot to me. Again, my apologies for being a couple days late. It is Monday, January 29th. I usually try and record this on Saturday. You can find this podcast on your favorite apps. That includes Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen, we're there. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Analyze Educate. That is all one word. We are also on Telegram, same name. Please consider supporting us again on Patreon, Ko-Fi, or Substack. All those links can be found in the show notes below. Be sure to leave us a five-star rating on the app used to listen to this podcast. That helps us out a lot as well, and I will see you guys soon.